Parents, have you ever had that time where you have lost your temper with your children? Oh, yes, I hear a lot of amens to that. Especially, I can imagine, you know, when you have small children, especially, and you have more than one of them, and the, it could be any moment of any day when there is fighting and there is yelling and there is pulling hair and there's talking back and everything just builds up and builds up and then you just shout out or you smack or you send. You just, in anger, unfortunately, sometimes our discipline just comes at our children. Maybe rightfully so, but we respond in anger and then we realize what we've done and then we have to come back and say, I love you. If we have done it sinfully, I'm sorry. And then we want to cuddle them and hug them and make it all right. And sometimes when people look at the prophets, and like Hosea that we have been looking at, they see God in this way, but maybe even worse, God as an abusive spouse or as a, as a father who has struck out in anger and then says, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you, I want to love you. But that's not the case at all. Even though we have heard God say, repent because I'm going to judge you. And then we heard God say, I am going to judge. And he even used the metaphor of a bear ripping the nation apart or a lion tearing them apart. We're going to hear words of compassion and I love you and a reconciliation. But God is holy. God is perfect. So he does not, in his anger, do so unjustly. He doesn't come in anger out of control, without a purpose. Every time God disciplines, even when it's in anger, it is for a reason, it's under control, and it is out of love. And we learned that today in Hosea, as we learn about the compassionate, loving God who blesses His people. We have heard a lot so far in Hosea of repent, repent, repent. It has been repetitive, and there has been a lot of emphasis on sin and judgment. Today, the emphasis on love and compassion. Today are the words of hope. So listen to them. And be encouraged by them as God speaks to us. In Hosea 11, how can I give up on you, Ephraim? How can I surrender you, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zebum? I have had a change of heart. My compassion is stirred. I will not vent the full fury of my anger. I will not turn back to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man. The Holy One among you, I will not come in rage. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will be roused like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. Then I will settle them in their homes. This is the Lord's declaration. You... They may not have heard of these cities, Adma and Zebum. I can't even say them, much less heard of them. But you have heard of their infamous sister cities, Sodom 
and Gomorrah. God punished justly, rightfully, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zebum for their sin. And their punishment ended in the complete destruction of those cities and those people. But God says to the nation of Israel, I am not going to treat you that way. He says, I have compassion. I'm not going to totally destroy you. Again, notice these verses how God says he's not a man. In other words, as I said earlier, his anger, his discipline is not done as we often do it. Uncontrolled, sinfully, unjustly, but he does it righteously, fairly, compassionately, and out of love. And therefore, he is not going to destroy the nation. He will judge them, but not completely destroy them. And I love even how this verse turns the metaphor of the lion upside down. The lion before was coming in judgment to devour and destroy. But now the image of the lion is God himself as the lion, not destroying, but God the lion roaring, speaking to his people. Come back. You have been scattered. You have been disciplined. But now compassionately I call you back. Come back to me. Come back to the land. And God says it will happen. Like birds migrating. You know how birds leave, then they come back. That's how the nation of Israel will be. They left in judgment, but will return to God. And notice the end of the verse says, Thus says the Lord. Or this is the Lord's declaration. Parents, you know how to treat your children. I know we're not perfect parents. I know we make mistakes and discipline out of anger sinfully sometimes. But I also know that good parents realize their children and recognize that they're weak, recognize how old they are. And I know you do this because you don't take your two-year-old and make your two-year-old cut the grass and cut the bushes and mulch the yard. You understand that that not an ability that your two-year-old has. You understand as your child gets older, the discipline is different. You know, a five-year-old often, a swat on the bottom, often ends a problem. That doesn't work for a 16-year-old. You have to discipline differently. So you know how your children are. You know their weaknesses, you know their strengths, you know their personality, you know how to discipline them, how to nurture them, how to love them. You know that. And we're earthly parents. How much more does our Father in heaven know how to treat us? I love Psalm 103. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you this morning. Just a couple of verses from it. But I encourage you when you go home this afternoon to read the entire psalm. These verses tell us that God treats us as a good father treats his children, knowing who we are. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. 
For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. He knows we're weak. He made us. He made us from dirt. He knows we're sin, sin, sinners and sinful. He was there in the garden when our parents Adam and Eve sinned. He doesn't treat us as though what our sins deserve. You know the wages of sin is death. That means when Adam and Eve sinned, God had the right to end their lives then. Well, that would have been the end of the story, wouldn't it? There wouldn't have been us. There wouldn't have been humanity. There wouldn't have been a redemption story. You see, God's story includes the sin, but it is His compassion for us that continues the story and His love which redeems us. So He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He knows who we are and He has compassion on us. Let that encourage you this morning. Because we stumble, we make mistakes, we sin, we run away from God for a time, we turn our back on God for a time, but God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't immediately end our life. He's compassionate with us. His love continues. He continues to call us to come back. God treats us as a good Heavenly Father treats His children with compassion. This is image of father and children shows us the compassion of God. The image of husband and wife in Hosea shows us the love of God. We have already covered some of this when we learned the story of Hosea and Gomer. Gomer, an unfaithful woman married to Hosea, illustrating the fact that the Israelites had worshipped false gods and were cheating on God, were unfaithful to Him. Hosea is told by God to take Gomer back and to love her. And that's what he does, illustrating that God loves Israel and will not abandon her, but will come back to her and draw draw her to Him. And so in these verses, we hear the love of God, and it's illustrated in the love of a husband for his wife. And even in slightly intimate terms that may be a little bit uncomfortable for us as we think of God loving us. But as to illustrate this truth that as a good husband cares for his wife and loves his wife. And also uh, in a sense uh, the old fashioned word was woos her and uh, persuades her. And maybe a word that you might feel is not good for marriage setting but it's kind of true seduces her. That's the idea that God uses in these verses to tell us how he is going to call his wife back to him. And think about this in our human marriages. Isn't some of the greatest testimonies of God's grace and his power is when a husband and wife divorce, but then they get back together and they are remarried. It does happen. And when it happens, it's a powerful testimony that these two, even though they were divorced did not give up on each other. And for there to have been restoration and a remarriage, there certainly had to be forgiveness. And there had to be an understanding and looking at the marriage from a different perspective. And there had to be a reconciliation that was different than so many others. Because so many people, when they do divorce, they just move on. So in this illustration that God uses in Hosea, He is like... A husband and his wife is Israel and they've been divorced. But 
God has not given up on them. And he is going to woo her back. And they will be married again. Therefore, God says, I am going to persuade her. Lead her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her vineyards back to her. And make the valley of Akar into a gateway of hope. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth. As in the day she came out of Egypt. And that day, this is the Lord's declaration, you will call me my husband. And no longer call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth. They will no longer be remembered by their names. On that day I will make a covenant for them with the wild animals, the birds of the sky, and the creatures that crawl on the ground. I will shatter bow, sword, and weapons of war in the land and will enable the people to rest securely. I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be wife in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. Those verses right there are the ones you've heard in that video every week. Okay, So if you wondered where they were in Hosea, these are the verses. Hosea 2, 19 and 20. On that day I will respond. This is the Lord's declaration. I will respond to the sky and it will respond to the earth. The earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and the fresh oil. And they will respond to Jezreel. I will sow her in the land for myself and I will have compassion on Lo Rumah. And I will say to Lo Ami, you are my people. And he will say, you are my God. Listen to how God, in a sense, remarried the unfaithful Israel. He says, I will take you to be my wife forever. In righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness. And you will know the Lord. What a contrast to the relationship before. When the nation was a nation of apostasy and rebellion and sin. Now a nation faithfully worshiping and loving God. And He loving them in compassion and justice. This is the new marriage or the reconciliation of the nation and God. And I love how, remember, God told Hosea to have children with Gomer, and the first name was Jezreel, and then the next name was Lo-Rumah, and then Lo-Ami. Lo-Rumah means no mercy, and Lo-Ami means not my people. That was the old way. The new is you are my people, and I am your God. And I will show compassion to you. When we talk about heaven, I say this often, so I'm going to say it again. You'll get tired of me saying this. But it's important. We often think of heaven and we think of the city, maybe, and the gold streets and the pearly gates and the jeweled foundations. Or we think about all the things we won't have to deal with in heaven. You know, we're not going to have to deal with pain or sorrow We won't be crying tears of sorrow. There won't be any death. There won't be any sin. We imagine, you know, I guess living a life, I mean, imagine eating without getting fat and working without sweating. And, you know, I just don't know how that's going to be because we're not used to that. But this is what heaven's going to be like. And we often think about it in those terms, about how much better it's going to be. 
But the most important thing about heaven is this. That God will be there. And we will finally be with Him. That is what is so important about heaven. And that is what God said to the nation. You will be my people and I will be your God. And that is what God says will happen in the future in Revelation 21. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and He will live with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. This is our hope. That we will have a time where we finally see God face to face. And finally be in His presence. This is what we long for now. We, of course, God is with us. God, the Holy Spirit, lives within us. We're not here alone on this earth. But we don't see God face to face. We can't talk to Him like we talk to each other. But one day we will. And that's what makes heaven the most glorious and perfect place. Is finally, without all of the mess of sin, we will be before God, His people, and He our God. God promised it to the nation of Israel. It's promised to us as Christians in Revelation and is the hope we have for our future. God is also a God of blessing. Listen to these verses in Hosea 14. I will heal their apostasy. I will freely love them, for my anger will have turned from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily and take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His new branches will spread and His splendor will be like the olive tree. His fragrance like the forest of Lebanon. The people will return and live beneath its shade. They will grow grain and blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, why should I have anything more to do with idols? It is I who answer and watch over him. I am like a flourishing pine tree. Your fruit comes for me. Uh, to sum up these verses and the others that I've read, God promises a future for the nation of Israel. Most importantly, in right relationship with God. No longer worshiping idols, worshiping God alone. Living in the land that God promised to Abraham and to all the descendants of Abraham. Living in that land in peace, without war. Living in that land with prosperity, with plenty of crops, and even being a beacon to the rest of the world. Where the rest of the world comes to the nation and is blessed. This is how God promises to bless this nation. Remember now, who had turned against God, rebelled against Him, refused to repent, committed violence and sin. These are the people, this nation that He promises this to. And some of the verses I've read, you heard the phrase, on that day. The question is, when is that day? When is God going to do this? When did He do this? Some might think this is a, a side historical theological debate, but I think it's important at least to show you what I believe that day is. See, some would say, they look at the verses and they realize, hey, this has never happened in the past. You can look at what Hosea predicted in his future about judgment. And it came to pass exactly as God predicted. In 722 B.C., the Assyrian Empire came and destroyed the nation of Israel. But these promises of prosperity and peace in the land, worshiping God, you look in history, that hasn't happened yet. This is almost 
3,000 years later. And it hasn't happened. So some would say, well, God made a promise to them, but eh, he's not going to keep it. Well, that doesn't seem like a good solution to that problem, is it? If God didn't keep his promise to the Israelites, why would he keep a promise to us? Others would say that maybe they haven't met the conditions. They didn't come back in repentance. They didn't come back to God, so God didn't bless them like he said he would. But sometimes God does promise things in a conditional way. If the Israelites obey God, they would be blessed. If they disobey God, they would be punished. That's a conditional promise. But other promises God makes, there are no conditions on it. The promises that I've read to you this morning didn't have an if with them. God said, didn't we read it over and over again? That God's declaration, thus says the Lord. These things God promised He was going to do. Not if the people did something. That's not what He said. He said, I am going to do this. So to me, these aren't conditional promises that Israel has to meet before God acts. And some would say, well, God gave up on Israel, and now he's blessing the church. That's, I don't read that anywhere in Scripture, and that doesn't seem quite fair to the Israelites. The promises were to them. So I think the only way that we can understand this is to realize it hasn't happened yet. And as you read other scripture, I think it points to the future when Jesus will rule on this earth. He's coming back. And he's going to be on this earth for a thousand years, ruling in Jerusalem. And when he does, the promises made to the nation of Israel will come true. And I think this is important for this reason. If God has made promises to Israel he hasn't kept, we would be in danger of having promises made to us that he doesn't keep. But every promise he makes, he keeps. And so he will keep this promise to the Israelites, and he will keep every promise he has made to us. And what I love about how God treated the Israelites is how he treats us. This was a nation that ran away from him and rebelled, yet he still had compassion on them and still loved them. The same is true for us. I'm not going to read all of these verses to you, but these are verses that teach us that when God saves us, He keeps us as His children and will save us ultimately by taking us to heaven. It's a salvation we cannot give back. It's a salvation we cannot lose. It's a salvation we can't send ourselves out of or deny ourselves out of. Even if we are unfaithful to God... God is faithful to us. Even if we stumble, even if we sin, God does not disown us. He is compassionate and loving and will keep His promise to us. You know John 3, 16, 15 and 16 together tell us, if we believe, we have eternal life. Eternal life that's only for a few years isn't eternal life, is it? Eternal life is for eternity. Romans 10 tells us if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. Not maybe saved, not saved for a few years, not saved until you mess up, but saved. Romans 8 tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God. John 10 uses an illustration of we, those He has saved, those we, who have believed in Him being in the hands of Jesus and then the Father's hands on top of Jesus' hand. Now, Satan's not going to pry that, those hands open. 
And we're not going to struggle our way out of there. When we are in the hands of Jesus and in the hands of the Father, we are secure. Ephesians 4 tells us that we are sealed, protected, until the day that we will be redeemed. In other words, fully redeemed, you know, in heaven with the Lord. And Jude 24 tells us that God will keep us from failing and falling. These are encouraging words, promises to us. That just as the Israelites heard the word of God of restoration, of blessing to those who believe in Jesus, we are saved and we will always be saved until that day we're in heaven. And God is our God and we are his people. The last verse of Hosea is this, and it concludes our study in the book. Let whoever is wise understand these things, and whoever is insightful recognize them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. For a month we have looked at the book of Hosea, and this is how it ends, the last verse of it. A reminder that God speaks, and those who are righteous seek God and understand His ways and live them out. And the foolish person goes their own way. Make a choice right now. Are you going to heed the words of Hosea or ignore them? After I pray, we're going to sing two songs of worship that I encourage you to use as a time to respond to the Lord. They're beautiful songs, and they are songs that will help you respond to what the Lord has spoken to you. Father, I pray that now as we respond to you, we would do so in obedience. We are thankful, Lord, for how you save us and how you keep us in that salvation, how you always keep your promises. I pray that we would leave here today with great hope, confidence, because of who you are, your love and your compassion, and how we are your children, we are your bride, and you treat us as a father treats a child, as a loving husband treats his bride or his wife, and we are thankful. Lord, may we respond and walk in your ways as we sing in response to your word. And I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.